I'm trying to understand, you know, how to make this machine tick. Like, I think it has to do with asking for vision. And obviously it's a, it's a process, so it's something we get better at. You can't do 10 push-ups if you can't do one push-up. But fundamentally, I think that we live in a world that's filled with things that are painful and filled with, with shadow. And so it's more of a, yeah, how I react to those things that makes the bigger difference than not experiencing them. And it's actually me. I'm the bus driver. I'm the bus driver of my life. This is what I did. This is where I'm at. This is meant to be part of my life journey. And I'm going to grow from it. That we're all inherently good. It's not here forever, so make the best of your time here now. That all of life is inherently good. What really matters, you know, what, what matters. I'm Misha Kussman, a director, choreographer, and mama. My second child, little baby Imogen, named after the Shakespeare character, was in and out of Children's Hospital for the first year of her life. She had to have surgery at five months and wear a cast from her armpits to her ankles. I'm so thankful that I live in a country where this level of care makes hip dysplasia that she was born with treatable. But this was an extremely challenging time, probably more for me than for her. So I reached out to my community for advice on how to cope. Two years later now, I reflect on these recorded conversations. I examine the nature of growth and the value of grief. This was my process of struggling through fear toward love. My friend Brahim is a venture capitalist, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist who has devoted his life to sustainable energy. He is the founder of Full Cycle Energy Fund, which funds companies with the goal of turning municipal solid waste into clean energy. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thanks for making time, because I know your schedule is madness. My pleasure. My first question is, what does it mean to you to be on the right track? Well, I mean, the way I relate to the world now is that we are in a slow and imminent downward spiral. You know, even though that sounds gloomy, it's that's, you know, that's what the facts support. And, you know, I'm not interested in living a delusional existence. So since that is where we're headed, the the path to me is very simple. It's an existential one. I need to pause for a second. Brahim is not talking about COVID-19. I recorded this long before COVID claimed its first victims. Brahim is an environmentalist. The downward spiral he's talking about is climate change. But his concern about us working together for our survival on this planet feels even more relevant now. So it's a, you know, maybe not in my lifetime, but, you know, my kids will be very affected by it. And my grandkids will, you know, live in a completely different world if we continue to keep doing what we've been doing. So, um, so simply what I'm in alignment with is that which shepherds in a world that works. That is the driving force 
behind my work. It's an existential um, self-preservation and community preservation and, and, you know, and love for nature conversation. I mean, we live in a miracle, right? We understand enough about the planets and the universe to know that the fact that life exists at all on any planet is a miracle, let alone 10 million versions of life that exist on our planet alone. And as romantic as it sounds, you know, hummingbirds and butterflies and whales and and lemon trees and figs and avocados, I mean, all every single one of those things is a miracle. And we have that. We have that. We were, you know, so blessed to have that. So, you know, I mean, squandering, it seems like a really, really, really silly thing to do. So if I want beauty in the world, you know, if I want clean air, if I want clean water, if I want, you know, food that's not uh, toxic, then, you know, I have to take actions every day. There's no other option. So the the inevitability of it all, you know, is very clear to me. So I don't feel like I have the luxury of questioning that. Mm-hmm. When did you come to that clarity? Has this been like part of your consciousness your whole life or was there something that that happened or some, how did you make the realization that this was like a calling for you? So there wasn't like some specific aha moment, you know, I mean, the, um, it was interesting, right? Like, so we inherit this narrative from at least Western culture that, you know, he who makes the money wins at life. And so I was, you know, I was part of that mythology and part of that, I don't know what to call it. Let's call it hypnosis, you know, doing my thing, you know, working on capitalism, building, building, building companies, making a lot of money. And, you know, then I read one day that, that interesting Native American poem that said, which I'm paraphrasing here, I think it says something like, after the last tree is cut and after the last fish is poisoned and after the last river is dry, we can't eat the money. Just the impact of that alone kind of snapped me out of my cultural hypnosis and woke me up to the the simple reality of what am I doing? What is it all for? If health and beauty are gone, what's it all for? Hmm. I mean, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about how, you know, we're, our kids are having brain damage because of the pesticides that exist in our foods. Why is that allowed? Why is that allowed? It's allowed because because of lobbying. That's why it's allowed. You know, if you're a corporation that has a has the ability to sell, you know, tens of billions and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of product in the world, um, and you know, you find out during your testing that it affects people in this way, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand really. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't understand why they're allowed, honestly. I, I don't understand. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, these people who are making these decisions and how we're, who are overlooking these test results also are human beings and have children, right? Like they're, so I don't know who they think, how they're prioritizing their job over people's health or their own health. Or maybe they just don't touch the stuff that they 
that they know has their product sprayed on them. I don't know. By the way, I know this is not what you want to talk about, so we can go back. Not at all. It's actually like extraordinarily fascinating um, to just anchor this conversation, which for me feels like just it's it's like an it's an awesome conversation. It's, and like I think if there's that there's a chasm between I'm walking down the street and I'm in my own thoughts dealing with how to surface from my personal isolation and be a part of the world, there's a chasm between me and this concept of a wholeness that's worth fighting for. And how does a person like me, who has bouts of this feeling of isolation, feel like, A, they're connected to the grander whole, and B, that they have an opportunity or some role to play in the healing of the of the collective. We could be connected to um, the whole just by actually being a little bit more conscious in our day to day experience, in our day to day living. So, I mean, I can give a thousand examples of how somebody can be more connected. You know, don't use single use plastic, for example. Just as a principle, don't use single-use plastic. When you're at any sort of place to eat, if they automatically give you a straw, ask them, you know, and tell the manager not to give you a straw unless you ask for a straw. Um, you know, when you go to take a napkin from Starbucks, don't take 15 because they're free if you only need one or two and then throw the rest away. Like, there's so much that we can do. Don't keep buying clothes, for God's sake. You know, our biggest, the biggest environmental problem in the world isn't the power plants spewing carbon dioxide. It's the fact that we keep buying stuff. We need to stop buying things. It takes a lot of energy and water and chemicals to produce every single one of those t-shirts and shoes and purses and socks and pants and underwear that we buy. So like this whole notion of, oh, I can only wear a dress one time or I can only wear this fashion one time, that all has to expire from the human story. And the only way we're going to do that is together as consumers. And, you know, and we need to also shift our culture about who our, um, who our cultural heroes are. Meaning like if someone becomes a big success story because they I don't know, per, you know, have the latest, hottest fashion uh, line that's also fast fashion, they are inflicting suffering on everybody else environmentally. That person, in my eyes, is not a hero. That person is a problem and a burden on the planet. Hmm. The, the, the question I'm asking myself on behalf of myself, but also on behalf of like, if I were to say, like, I represent the lost, like, the lost people, and I don't mean, like, I can't, yeah, I mean, I kind of can't find myself. Like, when I'm in a place where I'm just, like, I am lost in thought, I don't, I feel like I'm walking forward and moving backward, I don't know how, what to prioritize, I don't know, you know, who I am, it's a very vulnerable thing to say all these things, and of course, I don't always feel that way, but when things are hard for me in my personal life, I feel really lost. Um, 
And so if I was to, if little lost me was to like, I'm looking for a way to like kind of grab onto the energy of this. And like, I think that there's that the depression is so common and this feeling of isolation where you don't necessarily feel like you're big and largely connected to everything else, largely connected to the planet, to homo sapiens as, as a species, to like our, our collective wholeness, the way we are part of the same thing. Um, well, first of all, let's talk about a couple of things. I mean, we are, we are very resilient creatures, but we're also, you know, we're also, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tender, but like we are fragile. fragile. Like we're also fragile beings. Yeah. So, you know, focus on taking care of yourself and, you know, you are part of us and we are part of you regardless. We're all connected and in this thing together. We live in a sphere in the middle of infinite space together we you know the air that i exhale is the air that you inhale you know the like we are all made of stardust and uh, dinosaur bones it's like the same amount of molecules that existed in the universe hasn't changed since the beginning the mm-hmm. every single atom on earth is almost the same except for like maybe a meteorite that hit us from time to time other than that it's the same atoms just changing shape from dinosaurs to houses to humans to trees to bananas to whatever it is. We're all connected. We're all the same. <laughs> so please take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been one of the more challenging uh, years of my life. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I've been in the process of kind of relooking at um, there's just been a lot of obstacles, like really intense things that have happened. And, um, um, I don't know what's going on with your child. Do you want, do you have a minute to tell me? I, this is, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Yeah. So, um, Imogen was born with a dislocated hip. Okay. And she had to have surgery. You know, we did, a, we put her in a bunch of harnesses and various things to try to get the head of the femur bone to lodge into the hip socket so that she would, you know, be able to walk when she grew up and not have a limp and not have pain or arthritis early. And so, yeah. I got it. And I know my cousins have the same thing and they're all grown up and fine and like forgot all about it. And, I'm sure she'll she's gonna be fine, right? Yeah, she's gonna be fine. Yeah. And I will add that all of that during the like heavy part of postpartum. She's eight months now, but you know that is an extraordinarily fragile time for any family and any mama. Um, you know, after a baby is born, basically you have two things. One, you have you know, your beautiful baby to just bask in. And then you have this, like, this, like, monster called depression that's, like, over your shoulder and can get you at any time. And it's extraordinarily common. It's, like, one out of three, at least, you know, maybe just in the Western world, it's extraordinarily common because there there is so much isolation here that, you know, if you want to see someone, generally you get in a car and you go see somebody, which is not conducive to healing from either a C-section or vaginal 
earth, like the, you should not go anywhere, <laughs> you know, unless you feel fine. But a lot of cases people don't anyways. It's, it's a lot of the sleeplessness and the healing and it's just so under um, celebrated. It's like the most extraordinary thing I've ever done. And yet it's so private. Um, but the power, that kind of lioness power that is accessible, you know, when you just because you birthed someone um, is is the other under-recognized side of postpartum. Um, and like the depth of that growth, I already feel myself so much more powerful. Um, even though culturally there aren't a lot of, there isn't a lot of recognition for, you know, how extraordinary, what, what, how extraordinary it is that women can do this, you know, um, it's just not, it's just not talked about enough. If, you know, if we can all have something like that to draw that, like that inner highest version of ourselves out, then we'll all be the better for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I am continually in awe of nature's design when it comes to, you know, how, how, how nature has stru structured it so that a mother is so devoted, you know, it's obviously for the survival of the species on some level, but, um, yeah, I definitely, it's like sleepless night after sleepless night. And I just, uh, I, I, there's nothing I care about more. Yeah, my kids, of course. Um, do you have a philosophy? Could you synthesize what 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 that is um, and how you came to it? One of the things that I'm present to, I don't know if it's a philosophy, is that you know, like that life is finite. You know, our time here is finite. Every single minute that passes, the minute we can get back. So, you know, we really truly need to make the best out of our time here. You know, this whole notion of one day this and one day that and one day this is just a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a mental illusion that we do to ourselves to feel better that we are going to one day live into some different reality. Like, whatever inspires you, it has to happen now because there's just no time you know there just isn't time and time is the most valuable thing that all of us have there is time only for what there's time to do the things that are valuable for like to us like harmony joy expression love rest the things that we actually want for ourselves because nobody actually wants to be in breakdown so you know the question is, is what do we want let's use up this little bit of time that we have doing that, experiencing that, working to maximize our experience from that. And, um, you know, that really, like, that really shapes the quality of my life. Mm -hmm. What three things are most important to you? Kindness. Presence, you know, presence to me means actually being there, not, you know, especially in the age where we're so distracted. Like it's, you know, I've noticed that it's so hard 
to, to be with people, to be even, you know, uh, these, like to be in general these days, because we're getting bombarded with so much information. So presence is so important and so precious. So kindness, presence, um, action. Hmm. What do you consider to be true? That we're all inherently good. That all of life is inherently good. That this notion of, uh, of, you know, good and bad and good and evil is not, is not true. You know, inherently we're all true. We may be damaged. We may be, um, you know, fearful. We may be, you know, like traumatized to degree, to a degree where we can no longer feel empathy and, that turns us into monsters, but deep down inside, we're all good, and all of life is good. Hmm. Because it's a miracle? Just my observation is that, like, you know, underneath the ugliest of the ugly, you know, when if you're willing to be present and listen, somehow you meet goodness. You know, that's just my experience of human beings, of other creatures that live here, you know, there's a inherent goodness in uh, in this, you know, in whatever governs the laws of nature, such that all living beings seem to, deep down inside, be inherently good. How do you want to be remembered? I don't know if it's that important to me to actually be remembered, but if, um, if, if my life can serve as a reminder that the world can work and the, the highest calling that we have is working to live and maintain a world that works for everyone and everything. And it serves as some sort of model of a life that has has been dedicated towards that vision, then I would love that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I hope um, this was in any way helpful. And, you know, I appreciate the conversation that you're having and I appreciate that you're working to broadcast, you know, the, the highlights of it with, with the world such that other lives can be positively affected by it. Rahim is so driven and activated in his mission to help the environment. I was so in my own world and focused on Imogen and being a mother. It seemed like at first we were having two different conversations, but maybe it's possible that those two topics aren't actually that different after all. The care and attention we need to pay to the environment will affect our children. It will affect our children's children. And that effort of caring about people other than yourself is at the heart of what makes motherhood and women so powerful.
I think this whole experiment of recording these interviews with people I love gave me time to grieve my unmet expectations, to examine my fear and what causes it, but also what quells it. This has turned out to be one of the hardest projects I've ever committed my time and attention to. But it's also served to help me in my next big challenge. And life, true to fashion, was dealing me another struggle just as soon as I finally thought I was done with this one. During the interviews, my dad was fighting cancer, bravely. And now, as I release the podcast, he has passed over to the other side. In some ways, I think I am more equipped to handle the loss because of this podcast. I don't claim to be free of any pain, but I'm not afraid of being afraid. I have a stronger connection to a greater force outside of my own life experience. Through all the twists and turns, my path is mine alone to walk. But if you have been my companion, thank you for joining me on my journey. It's your listening that has enabled me to find my way a little closer toward love. And I thought I'd end the show with a song by my buddies, the Grommets, amazing band. Y'all should check them out. It could be worse. It could be worse. You could be a duck. bread all the time You'd be out of luck It could be worse You could be a cartoon
Visit the show notes page at www.tour.love. Subscribe, rate, and share.